the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Paul says here, if you Gentiles are thankful for your salvation, don't you let that go to your head. And don't you become arrogant and think you're better than the Jews. Because he says you've been grafted in. It was a Jewish Messiah, in case you forget, he's saying to us. You have been saved through a Jewish place and a Jewish plan, a Jewish people, a Jewish Messiah. And therefore then, don't take your salvation to make it go to your head and become all proud and haughty about it. No, no, no. You're grafted in, friends. This is Cornerstone Connection. The radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Romans. Paul warns you and all other Christians the dangers of becoming arrogant. Today you learn from Pastor Gary that many Jewish people fail to see Jesus as their Messiah because they were too caught up in their tradition and religious ways. They were unwilling to turn from the things they were familiar with. As a Christian, you too can fall into the same trap. As time goes on, many Christian churches are becoming more and more lenient, failing to uphold the values of Jesus. Know Him and His Word so that you'll not forget Him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Romans, chapter 11, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. And all of a sudden then, Elijah gets all afraid. Why? Because Jezebel, the queen at this time, who had married Ahab, the king of Israel... Jezebel puts a hit on his, on his life. She rolls mafia style, friends. That's what she does. She puts a hit on this guy's life. And so he runs for his life. Bible says he runs from Mount Carmel to Beersheba. It's 100 miles. And then he gets to Beersheba. And then he goes another day into the desert where he, where he finds this cave and just kind of sits in it. And he says to God, I'm the only prophet in all of Israel. I'm the only guy doing anything good for you, Lord. Wow. <laughs> wow, Elijah. And God shows up. He goes, ah, not so fast, Elijah. You're not really the only one. I got seven other thousand prophets throughout the land who have not bowed their knee to Baal. So don't think you're the only one. In other words, Paul is using that example from 1 Kings 19 to remind the Jewish people that even in the days of Elijah, God had preserved a remnant. Even though Elijah thought he was the only one, God says, no, 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 I got 7,000 more. I've preserved a remnant. So he talks about the past. And then Paul says there in verse uh, 
5, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. Paul said even in his own day, he says there's a remnant, there's a, there's a bunch of people who believe in Jesus as Messiah. Maybe the majority of Jews don't, but he says there's still a remnant, God always has a remnant. And I just also added for context's sake, in the future as well, because in Revelation chapter 7, there's a remnant during the period of the tribulation. Remember, God has 144,000 Jews who are believers in Jesus, and they become evangelists throughout the world to lead people to Christ. He even has his remnant during the tribulation period. And God still has his remnant, even in our day. As I mentioned earlier, there are about 16 million Jews worldwide. About equal number in the U.S. as are in Israel. It's about 6 million Jews in Israel, about 6 million Jews in the United States, and the remaining 4 million around the world. Of the Jews in the United States, this is a remarkable number, folks, but of the 6 million Jews in the United States who identify themselves as Christians, as believers. Now listen, you don't leave your Jewishness. You don't, you don't leave being Jewish when you become a Christian. It just simply means you've accepted that Christ is Messiah. Okay, You're still a Jew. Uh, Jews today who uh, believed in Jesus call themselves sometimes a completed Jew. Uh, they call themselves perhaps a Messianic Jew. But they're still Jewish. But interestingly enough, of the 6 million Jews in the United States, you know how many now identify themselves as Christian, okay, not necessarily evangelical, but as Christian, 1.7 million in the United States. Now, there's still great work to be done in Israel, because in Israel, again, about the same equal number, 6 million Jews in in Israel, about 6 million Jews in the United States. Of the 6 million Jews in Israel, only 20,000 proclaim to be Messianic Jews. It's about 1% of the population. So the work is still, uh, you know, needs to be done in Israel. And the only thing that I can say would be the reason between if there's about equal number of Jews in both the United States and Israel, but 1.7 million identify themselves as Christians in the U.S., 20,000 in Israel, it has to be the influence of the church. It has to be evangelical Christians in the United States who are leading their friends and co-workers to Christ to an understanding that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah who died for the sins of the whole world, Jew and Gentile alike. So even in our day, God has preserved a remnant. There are more and more Jews coming to faith. On our last trip to Israel, one of my friends in Israel, who is actually the the owner of Sarel Tours that we use in Israel, we have a travel agency stateside, and then we have a a company in Israel, and uh, Sammy Smadja, his father, who just died last year, and Terry and I had had lunch with him in one of our stops. But Sammy's uh, father planted 70 Messianic Jewish congregations throughout Israel. And so it is still a, a wonderful work of God's spirit and increasingly so among Jews today. And many of you have, you know, I've given the pulpit over to some who are Jewish believers. Uh, Ronnie Cohen has taken the pulpit. Amir Sarfati has taken the pulpit. Uh, Rob Shank has taken them. These are Jewish believers in Christ. Okay. They're not an anomaly, but they are a minority. And so there's still a remnant, though. Let, let's, let's keep reading on here. Verse 7, he says, What then, what Israel sought so earnestly it did not obtain, but the elect did. In other words, Israel who sought it through works did not obtain it. But he said the elect did. The others were hardened, not permanently, we're going to see in a moment. 
As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so that they could not see, and ears so they could not hear to this very day. And David says, quoting from the Psalms, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and their backs be bent forever. Now, there's going to be a, a, a basis behind this where they are, they, they're in a stupor for the moment. They've been hardened for the moment, but there's a plan behind this as well. Because what he's going to end up saying here is that Israel, though they are in a... The Jewish people, by and large, uh, you know, with the exception of the remnant, obviously, and a growing remnant of that, uh, the Jewish people, by and large, who are not believers, again, Paul says, obstinate, disobedient, all right, not words just used for the Jewish people who don't believe in Jesus. Those words are used for any of us who don't believe in Jesus. The hardening of our hearts, obstinate, rebellious, right? But what he says here is that if that's the direction they wanted to go, kind of like the way God used Pharaoh, Pharaoh hardened his heart, so God's going to take advantage of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. God will harden his heart then in response to that, and then God will accomplish a great purpose in the release of the Jewish slaves under Pharaoh's uh, heavy hand. Same thing. He says, the Jewish people have experienced a hardening in part. He's going to say later in this chapter, until the full number of Gentiles has come in. Where he's going to move now is that even though the majority of Jews, out of the obstinance and rebellion of their own hearts, have rejected Jesus as Messiah, God has now allowed that. He said, okay, if this is what you want, I'm going to give this to you for a time before I come back and stir your hearts towards me. And during this interim... I'm going to bring Gentiles into the kingdom, and I'm going to use them to actually irritate you. <laughs> They're going to irritate you because you're going to look at these goyim, and you're going to look at how happy they are, and how much they love Jesus, and how lives, their lives are different, and you're going to become envious. So God's going to use now even the Gentiles, bringing them into faith in order to stir the hearts of the Jewish people. So this is where he goes. Look at verse 11. Again I ask... Did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Okay, so back to our screen, back to the original question. He keeps making the argument. He moves on now and he says, well, he's anticipating some might say maybe they have stumbled beyond recovery. He's going to answer it by saying this, basically, no. But in the meantime, salvation has come to the Gentiles. This is where he keeps going. Look at the rest of verse 11. Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression, if the Jewish transgression, because they don't believe, means riches for the world, because now salvation is open to everybody else, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? So he's like, he's like you know, if in the meantime... Because of their hardness, their transgression, a whole world of salvation is opened up to the Gentiles. Imagine how wonderful it's going to be when the Jews eventually do come to accept Christ. Because if it's great what God is doing among the Gentiles, it's going to be even more incredible what God does among the Jews. Verse 13. Now he switches and he addresses the Gentiles. He says, I am talking to you Gentiles. He's got a message for us now. For those of you who are Gentiles. Some of you are Jewish believers in our own church. But he says, I'm talking to you now Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people, the Jews, to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? 
If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. All right, so what does all that mean? So they would offer a, the first fruits, and usually it was barley. The barley harvest was the first that came to fruitfulness. And they would take a little portion of the first of the harvest to the temple. And that portion offered was holy. So he says, but listen, and he's, it's a lesson out of Numbers 15. It's their own Jewish law. He says, when you offer a bit of that barley harvest to the Lord, that is holy unto the Lord, and it therefore makes the rest of it back on the farm holy as well. Same thing with, with the dough. The, if you offer a sacrifice of the, of the dough, he says that part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy. The whole batch is holy. So here's his argument. Who were the first to put their faith and trust in Jesus as the Messiah? Not the Gentiles, the Jews. First nine chapters of the book of Acts is all about the Jews who believe in Jesus. You don't see a Gentile convert until Acts chapter 10. So the Jews, in in essence, are the first fruits. The first believers in the New Testament church were Jewish. So Paul is saying, listen, learn from our own history, okay? The first Jews became Christians who believed, all right? There's more to come. The rest of the harvest of the Jews are going to be made righteous too in its time. So he uses that analogy from their own Jewish history. And then he talks about the branches here and the root. And he builds on that. Verse 17, he says, If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, Gentiles, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, Do not boast over those branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. So it uses some agrarian terminology here about grafting in branches, okay? Um, A few years ago, I was in uh, Taylorstown, not too far from here, Taylorstown, just over the hill a little bit. And uh, at the Taylorstown General Store, which I don't think it's operational anymore, but, and I don't even know if the tree's there. It's been a few years since I've seen it. But there's a tree right in front of the Taylorstown General Store. It's, it's now about probably 100 years old. It's a cherry tree. But if you look at it, you can notice it's a cherry tree in the trunk. It's got cherry tree you know, um, aspects. You can identify it as a cherry tree and the, and the branches and the, and the leaves. But coming out the center of the trunk of this cherry tree is a huge locust tree. Because many years ago, a locust seed ended up falling within the V of the cherry tree, and it ended up taking root and growing. So you had this huge locust tree growing right in the middle of this huge cherry tree. Now, you better believe that locust tree is thankful for that cherry tree. Because if anything happened to that cherry tree, that locust tree is done. Why? Because that locust tree is getting its sap and its nourishment from being grafted in to the cherry tree. Paul says here, if you Gentiles are thankful for your salvation, don't you let that go to your head. And don't you become arrogant and think you're better than the Jews. Because he says, you've been grafted in. It was a Jewish Messiah, in case you forget, he's saying to us. You have been saved through a Jewish place and a Jewish plan, a Jewish people, a Jewish Messiah. And therefore then, don't take your salvation to make it go to your head and become all proud and haughty about it. No, no, no. You're grafted in, friends, and you're the branches, and you need to appreciate the the root structure and the Jewish, the whole Jewish plan of redemption that came through Jesus as the Messiah. So don't get all haughty and high-minded there. He says in verse 19, you will say then branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Well, granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. 
and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Notice it's also not just God's sovereignty, it's man's responsibility. He says, otherwise you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Okay, this is not permanent. They've stumbled for a time. He says in verse 24, he says, After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will those will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? So, you know, sometimes grafting in doesn't always take. He said there's, there's a much greater success likelihood if you take you know, the branch of the same species of tree and graft it into the same species, you, it, it'll, it'll be better to grow, more able to grow. So he says, you know, the Jewish people, if you think that you Gentiles have been grafted in and you're doing well, think how much more easy it will be for the Jews to once again come to the revelation of who Christ is and to believe in him as their savior. So now verse 25, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Okay, now before we read further, please note the word ignorant there. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be without knowledge. Now there are three times in the New Testament, Paul tells us, don't be ignorant about something. Three times. This is one of them. Don't be ignorant about Israel. Then he tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. And then he tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I don't want you to be ignorant about the rapture. That's so interesting to me because the three things that the Bible in the New Testament says, Christians, I don't want you to be ignorant about these three things. I don't, want, I don't want you to be ignorant about Israel, about the spiritual gifts, and about the rapture. What are the three things that Christians are most ignorant about? Israel, spiritual gifts, and the rapture. Okay? So let it be a warning to us. We need to understand this. We need to know this. We shouldn't be ignorant about it. And as it comes to Israel and the Jewish people, he says this. Look at the rest of the part after the colon there in verse 25. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved. Very interesting. He's going to quote here, but before we read the quotes... I want you to notice these key phrases. He talks in verse 25 about the full number of Gentiles. What is that? And he talks in verse 26 about all Israel will be saved. So he uses some pretty extreme numbers. Full number of Gentiles, all Israel. So what are those numbers? What does full number of Gentiles mean? What does all Israel mean? Well, underneath... um, the full number of Gentiles, just write down Luke 21, 24. Let me read to you what Jesus said. He uses a similar phrase, speaking about the end times in Luke 21, 24. Jesus said, They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Jesus speaks about a time of the Gentiles. Paul speaks here about the full number of Gentiles. Jesus in Luke 21, 24 says that Jerusalem will be taken back by the Jews when the time of the Gentiles has been fulfilled. Now, there's some debate on this, but interesting note in history, 
Israel from the time of the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem in 586 BC by Nebuchadnezzar. We've been talking about this on the weekend studies. Israel, Jerusalem specifically, has been under constant domination by a foreign nation or a foreign people. From 586 BC until 1967. In the Six-Day War, when Israel was attacked primarily by Syria and Jordan, and then Egypt and other nations uh, uh, jumped on the bandwagon, and they successfully pushed back and fought a defensive battle against their neighbors In 1967, Israel once again took Jerusalem back from Jordan. Now, does that mean now that because Jerusalem has been under Israeli control since 1967, that we are now in that last window of time when the full number of Gentiles will come in? This is an unknown number, folks. But what Paul is referring to is that there's going to be a number that God knows in heaven. This is the last of the Gentiles to be saved. His patience is the reason for his delay. The Bible says that God is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. But he wants none to perish but all to come to repentance. So he is waiting for as many people as possible to, come sa- to become saved. But there's going to be this point when, when God is like, okay, that's the full number of Gentiles. I don't know what the number is. You don't know what the number is. God does. There's that last Gentile, that last Goyim finally got saved. That's it. You know, that's what's going to happen, friends. So I don't know. If you're holding out tonight, folks, listen. Give your life to Jesus. Let's go home. All right? Stop playing games. I don't know who that last Gentile is, but there's a last Gentile. All right? There's a last Gentile. And when that full number is done, God is going to now usher in the next age. And it's going, to, it's going to be the tribulation followed by the, the millennial kingdom. So there's going to be this full number of Gentiles who, who, who will come in. So Israel's experienced a hardening in part until full number of Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. Now, what is all Israel? So in order to understand, uh, let me just read the, the next passage here. And then, and then we got a counter reference with the book of Zechariah. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to tell you this because I'm... It's a school night, and I'm out of time, so we're going to have to save this for next week. But I'm going to read this part here, and it's just getting to the good stuff, folks. But listen, but then, you know, it's a cliffhanger. You have to come back next week. All right, so he says, as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take their sins away. Who is the deliverer who will come from Zion? Jesus. Because the Bible says that the Lord Jesus will return. And the prophet Zechariah speaks in great detail about this. That he will come again from the same place. Remember in Acts when the disciples were looking up as Jesus was being taken up from them. From the Mount of Olives. And the angel appeared to them and said, you know, men of Galilee, why do you stare up up into heaven? This same Jesus will return to this same place in the same manner in which he was taken. And so it means literally that Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives to go back into heaven. And Zechariah tells us that when Jesus comes again, and this confirms what the angel said in, in Acts 1, that the Lord Jesus will again come back to the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. And when Jesus returns bodily to the earth, he will come to the Mount of Olives. And every eye will see him. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. There will be this great moment of revelation for the Jewish people when they see the Messiah 
on the Mount of Olives who has returned to usher in the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign. And so all of that is next week's Bible study, friends. As you've been learning from this study in Romans, every person on earth has sinned and deserves the punishment of eternity separated from God. Jesus changed all of that, though. He came to die in your place, to give you grace, and to offer you the gift of life with Him in heaven forever. Are you ready to accept this gift? We'd love to talk with you more about it, so give us a call at 703-771-1500. That number again is 703-771-1500. We'd like to also direct you to our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Under the Grow tab, click on How to Get to Heaven to hear from Pastor Gary about this important decision. We're so excited for you. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Cornerstone Connection, you'll find them at cornerstoneconnection.cc as well, or download our mobile app to take them with you wherever you go. We'd love to meet you too, so if you live in or are visiting the Leesburg area, come visit us at Cornerstone Chapel. We meet each Sunday and Wednesday to spend time in prayer and worship and studying the Bible, and we're excited to have you join us. You'll find directions on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for tuning in today for Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.